Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, back with another episode of Fine Conversation with people that are involved in the independent music industry, whether it's the creation of art, whether it's the support of art. There's just a lot of support and creation going on here. Anyways, I'm your host, and this week we have a guest. His name is Shane Told the vocalist for a band called Silverstein. More on him in a few moments. Let's get some business pleasantries out of the way, and then we'll be able to dive right into the interview with Shane. For those of you that have been paying attention, this month is my fundraising month. I try to bring the cream of the crop as far as guests are concerned, but let's be honest, I bring you great stuff all year. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. This podcast is probably one of the best out there. You know, let's just all agree, understand that fact right now. Even though it may not chart in the top 10 in downloads, it's just the best, you know. <laughs> Sorry, that's sarcasm there. But anyways, I come to you twice a year in April and November to essentially beg for money because uh, this thing doesn't make money. <laughs> I basically just want this to be a self-sustaining thing. So where I'm not uh, dipping into my own proverbial pockets to uh, pay the editor, beautiful Tom Richfield, to pay the hosting fees and all that other fun stuff. I mean, uh, to be straight with you, it's not that much money, but you know, it's over a hundred bucks a month to keep this thing running as smoothly as it does. So I'm coming to you, the listener. So if you are a first time listener and you enjoy the show, just think about donating. But if you're a regular listener, you, you person, just give a dollar. Like literally $1. You have two ways of giving. One, you can be a regular contributor. So a month-to-month donation of any size. I could care less what the size is. Just just sign up and do it. Or you can do a one-time contribution. And a lot of people have been doing that. A lot of people tend to kind of want to give a lump sum. Like, you know, some people have given like 50 bucks. And it's like, that is that is humbling and awesome. And I really appreciate that. So click on the show notes of this show. Whatever podcast catcher or listener you are doing this on, you can find that in there. Just, just click it and then click through. One of two ways to donate. The subscription model is based off of a platform called Patreon, and you can get some rewards there. But anybody that donates, I will send you some pins and stickers and essentially my eternal friendship because I kind of develop relationships with people that either email the show or donate. I'm just so grateful that people do that, that I kind of, uh, you know, kind of bug them. So if you don't want that, that's fine. I'll leave you alone. The second way, like I said, is a one-time donation, and you can do that on the right side of the page at 100wordspodcast.com, yellow button on the right, click on it, pick any amount. Like I said, I could care less about what the amount is. It's just a matter of support because there's tons of stuff out there. I'm competing with movies, music, everything. But the fact that this is in your ear holes, that is a deliberate decision. I just want to engage with you on that that fact alone. So anyways, enough of the, the shilling. April is so busy as well because so many bands come through Southern California on tour. Just saw Balance and Composure recently. Love those guys, and they continue to impress me from a live music perspective. Just saw Defeater and Counterparts. All these people are past guests of the show, so dive into the archives. If, if you're new to the show, you can find so much good back catalog content there. So it's just, it's exciting. And I love to go to shows that uh, are exciting and you can kind of feel that anticipation building. And uh, yeah, all these shows have delivered. And I'm just very grateful. It's always nice to reconnect with friends and yeah, just, just the camaraderie and the community aspect of this music scene that I hold so dear is, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's the real deal, man. Record Store Day just happened. And I actually wrote a piece for Property of Zach. If you are interested in reading that, you know, I was a little critical of Record Store Day. I personally love it. I'm a huge vinyl collector. But uh, there are some things that, uh, you know, because Record Store Day has become successful now, it's, uh, you know, you got to shine a light on some some corners that uh, of, of the actual quote unquote holiday that, uh, you know, might get overlooked because you know, not everything is awesome about the holiday in particular. It started off from a great place, but you know, there are some little, uh, little aspects that should be tweaked and, uh, I guess addressed in order for it to improve in the future. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and go to property of Zach and you'll be able to find that. The interview this week is with Shane told he is the vocalist for a band called Silverstein. I've known him forever. He's, uh, 
a good friend and we've been trying to do this for a while. I was trying to meet up with him in person, but sometimes touring schedules just don't match up with my own schedule. And we just we decided to hop on Skype and do it that way. It was funny because Shane was one of the first people where I, I, I call him a show friend where it's like, you know, we've spent a lot of time together, but I don't know very much about him. And when I started to kind of like look around on the internet for more information on him, there isn't a ton out there, which I I was kind of surprised by because Silverstein has been a band that's existed for a very long period of time. And uh, he's done a kajillion interviews. But uh, yeah, so it's interesting. So we dig into that, dig into a lot of other things. Um, I'm just grateful that Shane was uh, interested in hanging out with me and kind of, you know, laying it all out there. So this is the definitive Shane told interview. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. (laughs) But anyways, enough about me and blabbering. Let's talk to Shane and I will talk to you after the interview is over. I've known you for forever. Like, I mean, I can't recall the first time we met each other because it's been so long. I can. It was at the uh, Taken show in Southern Ontario at the merch table. You sold me a crayon seven inch. <laughs> so that was, uh, that's to- my first recollection. I'm sure you don't remember that. I was just a, a kid, but yeah, but still, but I remember the, let's see. Okay. So was it, was that at the pine room? That would have been at the pine room. That's right. Okay. I'm trying to think of, and I don't know what year, I mean, you, you'd have a better idea of, you know, what year you actually you know, toured when you had that record out. Cause for me, it all blends together. That might've been like, like 99 or something like that. It's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to say that may have been, that may have been our first time up there. Cause I think we played, we only played the pine room twice, but it was, uh, I think one of them was with every time I die maybe. And I don't, regardless, but anyways, that, okay. That was the first time that we had met. And I just remember being so weirded out that people knew who we were already up there. It was like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Probably in the same fashion when you guys first came out to California, it was like, wait, oh, yeah. wait, why do people know who we are out here? I can remember the first, you know, Orange County. Well, I guess it's not, maybe it's not Orange County, but Corona, California was the first, you know, Southern California show we played. And it's funny because I, in my head, I look back at that show as it being this like totally crazy, crazy show. But recently I saw a video of it. There was probably about 55, <laughs> 60 people there, Dude. you know, but, but in my head, it was like we were playing Woodstock or something, you know, <laughs> people, people hanging from the rafters and <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And then, and it was, it was really like that, you know, uh, you, you have no perspective at that time. You just have the idea of like, there are people in front of me who are yelling and having fun at something that is foreign to me. No one should be liking my band, really. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> the the other thing is, is I think it wasn't that tour. It was the next tour, but we were in San Diego, and I saw the first tattoo, the first Silverstein tattoo I'd ever seen, <laughs> you know? And to me, literally my first thoughts were, I just ruined that guy's life. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a huge mistake. Because, you know, it was, yeah, what have you done? What have I done? And uh, that's that's literally the the way you feel, you know, in these situations, because when these things are new, you know, when, I'm sure when you guys were when Taken was touring up in Canada, it was like you, you never think this is going to be something that it means anything. Do you know what I mean? It's just like we're just a bunch of stupid kids right. driving a van around. You know, it, it doesn't mean anything to anyone. Right. Except maybe except maybe us. You don't feel any weight to it. You know, it's not until obviously you're a few years in it and, you know, you can obviously have, like I said, perspective on it where it's just like, oh, oh, I see. But so anyways, reflecting, obviously, as as long as I've known you and as long as like Silver Scene has been in my life and you guys have just, you know, been just great friends to me as human beings. You're one of those people where it's like we've known each other for so long, but I don't know you at all at the same time. Where it's mm-hmm. like, I've got bits and pieces about your life. And then, so when I, I started doing research, obviously, about you before, you know, this this chat. And typically speaking, there's not much information about you out there. And it, it kind of, I don't know, surprised me in a way. Because, you know, by this time, people have spoken to you 575,000 times about the band. I, I just found, yeah. I found it interesting that there was so little, I guess, kind of personal information uh, out there about you um maybe i'm just really boring no I, well I mean, maybe we should just cut our losses and end it right here on <laughs> <laughs> it you know you know it it doesn't it doesn't surprise me you know i'm not gonna um i've googled myself i can fully admit i have googled shane told i have done this mm-hmm. and you know sometimes i'm actually surprised at how little really 
is out there about me both I mean not not just negative you know people shit talking me or any kinds of stories true or not it's there really isn't isn't much and the interesting thing about that to me is a lot of people would 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 give a, a reason like oh I'm a, I'm a secretive person or you know I, I keep to myself order I'm really not that kind of a guy I have no problem sharing I I don't keep secrets from people there's there's never been you know a time in an interview where I've said you know I'm not comfortable or I've steered it the other way I really do you know just jump down people's throats and and with with what I what I feel you know mm-hmm. so I don't I can't really describe why you know you're <laughs> maybe you're bad at doing your research man <laughs> I know maybe I, maybe my my google my google results are are, are failing me but it, I you just gotta fa- get bing or something yeah <laughs> Totally. I just, I like I said, I found it. I found it strange just because people do have such obviously an intimate bond with with your band, and then obviously people always immediately attach themselves to the singer. So of course they start to you know overanalyze and be super analytical with it. But I mean, it was going to pose a question I was going to ask. So you, by no stretch of the imagination, would define yourself as like a private person in a way. I wouldn't say that at all. No, I wouldn't say I'm a private person at all. Yeah, because you seem like the sort of dude that. In in all the interactions I've had with you, you've obviously always been forthcoming and, and nice, and um, you know, w- like willing to have conversations. So that's why I was kind of like this. It just didn't sit in my head appropriately. Where I was just like, "Huh, that's that's uh, that's strange." But anyways, you were born in Southern Ontario, correct? That's correct. I was born in Scarborough, Ontario. It's um, actually kind of the ghetto, the ghetto uh, of Toronto, if there is such a thing. I know you're from Angels area, so our ghettos aren't quite the same as yours. <laughs> But yeah, it's actually kind of a rough, uh, a rough area in, in uh, southern Ontario near Toronto. And uh, I lived there until I was about six years old. And then, you know, my dad got a new job and we moved to the other, literally the other side of, of town, the, the, from the eastern suburbs to the western suburbs where it was a lot nicer mm-hmm. um, into Oakville, Ontario, which a lot of people, if they know anything about, you know, Toronto, know that's like the richest uh, area of, of, uh, of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Do you have brothers or sisters? I have one older sister. Yeah, okay. uh, she's seven years older than me. Uh, oh. she actually lives in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. That, oh, that, I think you mentioned that to me before. But that, that's yeah. That's a pretty that's a pretty big uh, big gap in there. You, your parents. It, it, it is. Yeah. Well. Well. My my parents. My dad is uh, is almost ten years older than my mom, and uh, they were married when I was. What, what, sorry, they were married when my mom was eighteen. You know. So so it was. Uh, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think of that as really strange. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like they're my parents, whatever. But now that I'm older, you know, and, and even when I was a teenager, teenager, and I know like my mom was 16 when my parents met, I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, Dad. Right, right. What are you hanging out with high school girls for? You know, and because <laughs> yeah, uh, he and, so so he he was at his it is mid 20s and he was hanging my, out. My dad was in grad school and he was home for the summer. He was going to University of Florida, actually. Okay. And he was uh, and he was home for uh, summer, and he had really bad teeth. And my mom was had quit had quit school and was working at like a dental office, as like a dental hygienist or something. And my dad kept going back for his bad teeth, and they and they fell in love. And my dad says, "Hey, I didn't know how old she was. You know, she's working at a dental office. I figured she was, right. you know, old enough. And until right. she had to be home or like a, you know early, and uh, she couldn't." go out drinking and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's you know my my parents and they're still together. I actually had just had lunch with them this afternoon, so they're doing well and that's you know, a- my dad my dad's turning 70 this year, so they're getting a bit older and mm-hmm. you know, they, he was actually trying to sell his stamp collection, which is <laughs> that he's trying he's he's trying to get rid of that because he's basically like I don't need this anymore. I yeah. think so, yeah. I think he's at the point where he's turning 70 this year and he's kind of starting to realize that he's old. Right. You know, and, and I think that that's what's going on with my parents. They're looking at selling their, you know, the house I grew up in. Uh-huh. They're looking at selling it this year and stuff. So, so yeah, it's getting, it's getting a little crazy and a little crazy for me not having that, you know, my parents being that support that they've been, you know, sure my whole life because they're talking about moving away. Maybe they're going to move to Las Vegas. I don't know, you know. Right, right. You would probably define your, your, your childhood as pretty, you know, kind of typical, normal, sort of idyllic suburban home living. Absolutely. Yeah, like it really is. It's almost too normal in a way. Right. You know, the, the only thing I can really like think of is, you know, my mom had a drinking problem. You know, my mom hasn't drank alcohol since I was, you know, since I was born, mm-hmm. you know. So there was like, I guess, a bit of... um trauma, you know, in my family. My grandfather was also also an alcoholic and, you know, there were some, some things like that, but, but a lot of that was kind of 
worked out before I came into the, into the picture. Right. You right. know, um, it was strange too. you know, my sister's seven years older than me, as I said. So, um, I guess my parents were trying for a very long time to have another child. And then I came around and, you know, when, when you're that, when your sister's, your family's like much evolved already, it's kind of like they'd already worked out the bugs in a way. Right. You know what I mean? They'd already figured out their, where they were going to live and all that stuff. And so I guess I had a, I got lucky like that. Right. Yeah. You could, you could, uh, come into the world with obviously not the tumultuous nature that sometimes like a first child can throw people off, especially like you said, when your, your mom is, you know, only 18 years old having her first kid. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a heavy weight to carry. Absolutely. Right. Right. You know, as you started to kind of, you know, define yourself and, and grow up in, in junior high and, and high school, um, you know, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? You, you strike me as a sort of person where, um, partially I, I'm, I'm pushing this on you, but I, I feel like why, you know, you and I get along, like we can kind of blend it in different social groups. So like, were you the sort of guy that, that got along with a lot of different people at your school yeah. or, or was it difficult to kind of navigate those waters? No, you know, I, I guess I was, yeah, I was always very comfortable, um, socially in any kind of group. Uh, um, and it, it may be to a fault in some ways, you know, in, in, uh, I can think of, you know, junior high school and high school, I was kind of friends with everybody. I would say everybody considered me their friend and I was almost part of every group, but so much that I wasn't part of any group, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I was really into basketball growing up, um, from junior high all through high school, I played, played basketball, but you know, the guys on my team I was never really like friends with them outside basketball, you know? Mm-hmm. And part of that was because I was involved in music and I was playing in bands and stuff. So, you know, I was going to shows every weekend and, and a lot of those people, you know, I considered like my real friends, but then in a way they weren't my real friends because I was playing basketball all the time. If that makes any sense, you know? No, I, I, I can identify with that. Cause actually I, I was thinking about that recently where it's like, I think, I think people like yourself and myself that, that tend to be able to kind of mold into any sort of, you know, social situation and people generally speaking will leave that, that interaction being like, Oh, that person was nice or cool or whatever, but you're not there long enough to, I guess, create those like really strong bonds that sometimes people have when it's like, all right, well, I'm not hanging out with anybody else. So yeah, I see what you're saying where it was like, you know, everyone was cool with you, but you didn't have these like these, these hugely deep relationships because of just as far as the time you spent. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I can even remember like, uh, I was a member of the chess club one year, you know what I mean? Like I was into some nerdy stuff, but I couldn't relate to those people and they couldn't relate to me because at the same time I was going to hardcore shows Mm-hmm. And it was like they were that was so foreign to them. They they, they didn't understand what, what I was. You know what I mean? It was it was very strange how I could understand these different groups, but and I could navigate them. But a lot of people, I think, had trouble relating to me as more than just oh hey, like I'm going to play some games of chess against this guy or whatever you know, or I'm going to play play one on one with this guy. Then you know, then it is like so. So it was it was a strange um, high school experience for me. You know, I look through my yearbook and stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, I was like friends with all these people, but. I don't talk to anybody now. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? And yeah. that's probably why. I, I, I can understand exactly what you're talking about. Also 15 years ago. Too. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. So. I think there's something to be said too about the way that, you know, you develop as a person. Like it, it is, I guess, easier for, especially people that have had a similar experience to you where it's like, you know, you, you, you get involved in a subculture and you start going to shows and stuff like that. It's easy for people to just kind of stay in that lane and be like, well, that's my identity. But then when you yourself are adding these other layers that don't necessarily have anything to do with the music, that's when it's, cause you know, you're, you're not supposed to be into like punk and hardcore and like, like sports, you know, those are like, no, 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 I know. It's like we, we were doing in this last tour, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but you know, we were doing this little question and answer session and a couple times people asked me, you know, is you generally younger people being, what were you guys like in high school? The answer I gave them wasn't the answer they wanted. You know, they wanted me to say, oh, I was awkward and I was bullied and, you know, whatever, you know, they, they wanted to hear that. I think that and mm-hmm. I like wasn't sure and I was depressed and I was maybe I was cutting myself or, you know, they, they these people want this sort of like. I don't want to call it a romance because that's a little like fucked up to say, but they want this. It's a character persona. They yeah. want that character, you know. And I think the fact that I was like, "Well, I played basketball for four years in high school," was like absolutely the wrong answer. 
for them, you know, because they're like, oh, well, I can't relate to this guy anymore. Honestly, until you just saying that right there, it never really occurred to me of that, I guess, the weight of that expectation when you want the people who you are identifying with to have that same, you know, whatever journey or, you know, emotional baggage or whatever you want to call it. But that that's funny that that, you know, those expectations would be crushed based on that fact. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's interesting. And again, I'm never going to like lie to some kid about any of my past. You know, I'm just that's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I should have been making up all these crazy stories all along. So I have more to talk about in magazine <laughs> interviews or whatever. But right. you, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's a, the reality of it. But but yeah, I mean, it's it is what it is and, and uh, how I grew up and that's who I am. And, and I'm sure part of, I, I guess, I don't want to say my success, but part of yeah. who I am and, and where I've gone and where I am today is based on that upbringing and probably largely to do me being able to navigate all these different, you know, social scenarios. Yeah. Well, and plus it doesn't, you know, a lot of the times you see people get socially stunted or not really be able to interact with you know, whatever people outside of either their social circles or in different walks of life, that that's hard, you know, especially it's like when you're growing up and you're turning into an adult, it's difficult if all you've dealt with is like two types of people. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, how am I, how am I supposed to speak to these other people? But it's like, when you've already had that experience, it makes it easier to, Absolutely. The, you know, like you mentioned, obviously you're into sports. Like, did you take your, you know, (laughs) schooling or academic seriously or was everything else just kind of at the forefront? Yeah, I did take it seriously. You know, the way I grew up or something, you know, I said my dad was, you know, well-educated man and, and, you know, and my mom dropped out of high school. So I think the combination of those two kind of very opposite sides, uh, school and and all that was really important to them. You know, it was really important that I did well and, and stuff. So part of it was, not wanting to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then, then it actually, you know, I, you know, started to have a lot of pride about getting like all A's or stuff like, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I went through high school, I got pretty good grades and I went to university and, and, you know, I never thought I would be a musician or like professional musician right. because punk rock, like a punk rock professional musician kind of just wasn't a thing. Nope. Yeah. It was funny though. I, I can remember actually a pre- pretty funny story. Um, when I graduated from high school, um, I was at a party and it was, you know, I talk about all these different social circles I used to be part of. Well, this was like the more punk rock uh, mm-hmm. scene one, you know. So this dude was having a, a house party and I was over there and I was talking to this guy. I don't know if you know him. His name's, uh, his name's also Ray. Okay. Uh, he was in a band called Racer and then he was in the Full Blast. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I know, and, I, yeah, he, I know he, he was one of the about. original members of the Full Blast, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, he was talking to me. And he was older, right? He was like probably 25 at the time, which seemed like the oldest guy on earth, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever. I was 18 or 19. And, um, right. And he said to me, he's like, hey, so Shane, are you going to, uh, are you, going to you know, university next year? I said, yeah, I'm going to University of Guelph. He goes, why? <laughs> I go, well, you know... I don't know, I got good grades and I'm going to go to university and that's just like what you do. And he's like, you know, you're just going to play music. It was the weirdest thing. Like, I don't know how he knew that. Right. He really knew that, but I didn't know that. And certainly nobody around me had like knew that. And I I mean, Silverstein had just started. Uh My old band, my old punk rock band was marginally successful, but like not, we never toured or anything. You You know what I mean? So I just couldn't believe that he said that to me and I totally just shrugged it off. You know, I went to university for three years. <laughs> right. And um, finally, you know, when, you know, we Silverstein made a demo and we got signed to Victory Records and we decided we were going to go for it. I kind of, that, that conversation played back in my head with this, just in a very strange way to mm-hmm. where I don't know how that guy, who I didn't know very well at all, um, knew that. It just, it blew my mind. Right, right. Yeah, you, it did. It didn't make any sense because, yeah, that wasn't uh, like you were you were saying. You know, you 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 were doing these steps because obviously that was what was put in front of you, and it just made sense. I mean, no matter how punk or anti-authoritarian you are, it's like it's easy to make those next steps and be like, oh yeah, I'll go to college, I'll do these things because it's prudent. It's it makes sense because I'm not going to make a living out of. Try to play bands. It never made sense. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Right. You know, I would, I didn't have any, as a kid, I didn't have any money. I didn't have like a place to live other than my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to go, go, go up to my parents and be like, yeah, I got into these universities and I got these great grades and I've got like scholarship money or whatever, but 
I'm going to go buy a van now. And with, with my band, with other guys in my band, we're going to school. So it, it didn't make sense, you know? Yeah, no, um, for sure. And, and so, yeah, but it's, it's just a, one of those funny things. <laughs> yeah, a funny little moment. What were your parents doing for work as you were, you were growing up? Like you said, your dad, you, you guys moved because your dad got a different job. What was your dad doing? Yeah, my dad worked for DuPont. Okay. Uh, you know, that big, big faceless corporation. Sure. That, pl- makes, that d- makes everything from, you know, from free. Well, actually, my dad worked with Freon in the 80s. He, okay. he actually went around doing conferences about how Freon wasn't uh, so bad. Okay, so, right. <laughs> I don't know where he got a punk rock son from, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, so he worked for DuPont for his entire, his entire uh, work career. Got it. Was your mom, um, was, was your mom staying at home, taking care yeah, of my, you? Yeah, exactly. Okay. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, so that was, that was my, my upbringing. Pretty damn normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most people who obviously are, are looking for those, you know, whatever dark secrets of why they got involved in aggressive music, it's like 95% of the time, it's exactly what your life was described as. And I mean, I'll, I'll throw in my life as well. It's like, you know, we were relatively well-adjusted people that just were drawn to something weird, you know, because of obviously our, our, our tastes or whatever. But it's like, yeah, there doesn't have to be this like overwhelming darkness to create screaming music, you know? There doesn't have to be. No, you're right. You're right. And, and you're, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's, it, there's a thing, you know, I have, I have a theory about successful people too. You know, I think people that are, that are successful in whatever field have a certain type of personality. You know what I mean? And generally, Generally speaking, whether they're a total, you know, a normal upbringing or whether they're full on drug addicts or whatever, they, they still usually come from a certain personality, I find a certain upbringing. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, I think especially from, you know, our, our age bracket of people, there's definitely the sort of, you know, suburban blight of even though I have a house to live in and my parents care for me and like, you know, there's... Uh, all the building blocks are there for me to be satisfied. There's there's that element of just like there's there's something darker somewhere. Like I got there's that itch that uh, I got to yes. scratch. You know. Yeah, so that's right. As you were starting to kind of you know find yourself and define your own voice, what sort of uh, you know frictions were there in the household as far as like you know. Were, were you experimenting with, you know, like, were you drinking on weekends and like, were you getting into, into trouble from that perspective? Or did you kind of, you know, generally stick to the rules, so to speak? I had, I guess when I was like 16, I kind of got, you know, my first like girlfriend, you know, and that was maybe the the point where like, where the kind of the rebellion started where, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, I was, you know, going out and drinking and I never got super into like drugs or anything, which is probably a good thing because basically because I had so many friends that were fucked up on drugs mm-hmm. that I was helping them all the time that it was it was kind of easy for me to see early on that maybe this was something that was uh not going to be very positive in my uh in my life you know especially with that with that girlfriend you know so that that was kind of where it started and you know I was going to shows like all like literally all the time you know when I was 16 17 I I went to every show mm-hmm. you know in Toronto and then when I could st- when I could drive and borrow my mom's car I was like great I could just go to like I was going to th- three, four shows a week, you know. <laughs> what um, did your What did your parents do as you started to obviously get into this, you know, weird punk subculture music? Like, did, were yeah. they just were, were they just like, oh god, Shane? Like, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I guess you're into it, so we can't stop it. Or yeah, well, it's interesting, you know. I because I, I, I mean, when I was um, about twelve years old, you know, my, and my sister's seven years older than me, right? Uh, I heard Metallica for the first time. And it was played through my sister's room and it was that the song one, you know, with a really like fast ending, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And and I heard it through a room and it was like, it like changed my fucking life. Like immediately I heard that. I was like, I don't know what that is. I want to do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I asked my sister, I said to her, what is that? Is that like drums? Is that guitar? What is that? I want to do that. And my sister's like, okay, I think it's a guitar. It's like getting a guitar. So I, I went, you know. The funny thing was my dad actually plays guitar. Some guitars around the house, but they were like boring acoustic guitars. Mm-hmm. So when I said this to my to my dad, he was like very much like, okay, like I'm on board for this. Let's let's go try to get you a guitar. So I went to, um, you know, it was kind of like an ongoing thing. It wasn't, you know, we didn't go out to get a guitar. It was just something we talked about. And we were at a, a Sears outlet center, mm-hmm. you know, where they sell all this like everything Sears catalog. Right, yeah. Right. And there was a guitar. It was like a black, like kind of like a Stratocaster style guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, on the back, someone had written in Sharpie, uh, $25, <laughs> $25. And I think they were, they were supposed to, they thought they wrote $250, right. <laughs> but they wrote $25 and it was one of those outlet stores. So, uh, so we, we 
picked it up and I was all worried because it didn't have all the strings. And my dad said, you know, don't worry, we can get strings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I took, took it, took it home and, uh, and I t- started taking guitar lessons. And, mm-hmm. you know, right away that was like, all I wanted to do was play Metallica songs. And for some reason at, at that age, that band really spoke to me. Sure. You know, and, and, um, I, and, and yeah. And then from then it evolved to like more metal and stuff like Black Sabbath and Pantera and Megadeth and, you know, Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember my sister actually, she was more into like stuff like The Cure and New Order, Depeche Mode. Okay. But um, she actually had a couple Fugazi records. Okay. So, so Fugazi, which is very strange knowing my sister that she liked Fugazi, but that was kind of the first like punk band I guess I ever heard, mm-hmm. you know? And then of course that was around the time when Nirvana started getting big and then Green Day and the Offspring. So I kind of had heard all this stuff and then I heard Minor Threat and, and that like really changed changed everything for me. So, mm-hmm. so you just that's, started... That's kind of my, right, you you know, all, my little history. You all just started pulling it all in as you started to like actually go to shows and start to be like more active participant. What did your, uh, what did your parents think as you were oh, right, right, right. spending so much time yeah. going to shows? My, my, you know, my parents kind of understood the metal thing for some reason. They didn't understand the punk thing. <laughs> I like you know? that. I like that that um, they were like, you know what, the metal stuff we can understand, Shane, but just what is this other stuff? <laughs> they really they, like they didn't understand. My dad kept kept complaining, you know, like the double time, like the no effects, you know, double time punk beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad's like, it's off time. I don't understand. It's <laughs> off time. That's so good. You know? And then when my, you know, when I had a band, and and of course, like you know, your band when you're twelve or thirteen or however old I was you don't know what you're doing. Like nobody can agree on a style of music. So we were playing everything from, from like metal to flat, fast punk to everything in between, you know? Mm-hmm. So when we would do the like double time stuff, uh, you know, my, my parents who were kind of our only fans at this point didn't, didn't like it, you know? Right. And, um, they always thought that punk thing was just like a phase in my life. And sure. I, I remember, I remember I had a heated conversation one time when I was listening to The Descendants about with my mom being like, I don't understand. He can't sing and the drums are all out of time. It, it's so cute because they're all they're really doing is is criticizing the musicianship. But it's like there's nothing else like, you know, they're I mean, I'm sure obviously if they understood the lyrics, they would have more objectionable material in there. But I just I think it's adorable that they're just criticizing the musicianship. Well, that and like when he's saying I like food, you know, that's I true. Don't, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, can't play, can't sing. And like, what are these lyrics? <laughs> I totally get it from my parents. Totally. Totally. Um, you know, so so that's kind of where it was with me. And then I think they thought like I think they might still think this is some kind of trend. Right. You know, they, it's, a, like, it's a phase. Even even, even like as much. Because like a couple years ago, I always try to play my parents like new album and st- like the new Silverstein and stuff, you know, and they are always very supportive. But every time I do it, I scream. My mom's always like, I'm just afraid you're going to wreck your voice. You have such a beautiful singing voice. I'm just afraid you're going to wreck your voice. <laughs> it still it still so, comes from that total mom security blanket. Like, oh, Shane, uh, you've just been doing this for so long. Like it's going to happen one of these days. <laughs> You know, but I, I mean, maybe she's right. I don't know. I know. That's true. 15, I mean, 15 years. I I mean, I think my voice sounds pretty normal when I speak. I don't sound like a guy that's been screaming for 15 years. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You you don't sound like that guy. (laughs) (laughs) You you mentioned, obviously, your, your first band antics and you were, you were playing guitar in that, that pseudo punk metal band. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, well, the band was called Jerk Circus. Oh, that's Um, right. Okay. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it was. Yeah, we we started we started the band when when we were very young. Um, I was in the eighth grade. A- Andy, the drummer who who went on to to play in the Full Blast and um, Boys Night Out, uh, he was he was in seventh grade. So we were literally like we were little kids, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I guess we were pretty good. I don't know. We we again in, we would practice every day after school. Every day after school, we'd go to you know it was in my house in, in my parents' basement. You know, they, my parents were cool with us making a whole lot of noise every day, and we did. And uh, you know, that's that's kind of where it started. That's funny because <laughs> you definitely always need those supportive parents in order to be able to like let you allow you to practice and wherever it is because it's like that is that is such a nuisance. Like a band practice is is not quiet, and for no. parents to endure that is I, I don't know. Even though I obviously was afforded the same privilege as you, where it's like I, we practiced at our drummer's house, and like they were super accommodating. But like, if my kid came home now and was like, "Yo, dad, do you mind if we set up in the garage?" 
I'd be like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough <laughs> ask, dude. I don't know. Yeah. And you're like the one dad or, you know, that you sh- you should, should really, should really understand. Totally. I think, I think it's because maybe I understand too much where it's just like, oh, I know what, it, I know what it's like, dude. It's going to get really loud. As long as you do it these on Sunday between two to four, then we're okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and then, you know, next thing it's going to be like, okay, dad, I want this. Dad, I want this. Dad, I want a van. Dad, I'm leaving for six weeks. And then, <laughs> totally. you know. Because you know that's happening when when it's just a regular, you know, like my dad, DuPont dad, he doesn't realize what he's getting himself into down the road. <laughs> that's true. That's true. He doesn't he doesn't see the writing on the proverbial wall. He's because, just, you know, yeah. it, it was pretty obvious. I mean, like looking back every single birthday, Christmas, whatever, mm-hmm. I had an excuse to get any kind of present from my from my parents. It was something to do with with music. It was, you know, I was just building the collection. Oh, I want right. I want a guitar. I want a microphone. I want a PA. I want drums. I want, you know, whatever. And and like literally every birthday from the time I was 12 till I was 21 or even maybe even longer than that, I was always asking my parents for something, right? you know, until I was taking it seriously. And I was like, hey, dad, can I borrow some money to buy a van, you know? Jerk Circus, I, I presume, kind of bled over into high school. So you, you guys were just kind of like playing local shows and stuff like that? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we were just really just a high school band and we played like every high school function. Like they, we, we had like the back to school barbecue we would play and we had, you know, coffee houses and like all that stuff in the school. And then there was a few local shows we would play. And, and then uh, when we got a little bit better and a little bit older, we were able to play some shows in Toronto and there was pretty good punk scene there. And then of course in the suburbs of Toronto, as you know, were like, was a super awesome scene where you could play at a YMCA or a, you know, our equivalent of a VFW hall in Canada. And you'd have like 300 people. It didn't even matter who was playing. Right. So once that started happening, that's when, you know, it got pretty real. Right. Right. Because you've always, I mean, Silverstein's such a strange band to me because each one of you guys is in some respects, like, you know, businessly inclined, I would say, where it's like, you guys all like care about not only the music that you create, but obviously like the path that the band takes, which is strange because usually you only have like maybe one or two dudes that are like really focused on that. Um, and then the rest of the guys, you know, like could really kind of care less. Um, did you, did you kind of handle some of the, whatever, for lack of a better term, like business stuff of uh, jerk circus as you guys were like trying to book shows and stuff? Yeah, I did. I pretty much did all of it. Um, you know, for the band and, and I was, you know, as the singer, the songwriter, the guitar player, we practiced at my house. Right. Uh, when we got a van, it was my van that I drove around like my car, you know, it was like, it really was my whole thing. Um, maybe in some ways to a fault because I was, and I still am like a total psycho perfectionist about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in a band practice, like we got to do it again. It's got to be perfect. Or, you know, or, or this drum fill, like you did it differently that take, you know, you, you know, this, this time through, make, make sure you're consistent or whatever. So I'm like really, maybe, maybe in, in some ways I'm not easy to be in a band with. Uh-huh. Um, cause I can be, I can be pretty critical. Interesting. Uh, but, but, um, so, so with that back then, what happened is, you know, we got to be 18, 18 years old. We were, the band was getting pretty good and we had like a local record deal, you know, through like an indie label that was kind of putting out a record for us and getting distro and, we had a van, we were going to do some tours and that's kind of when the other guys in my band got poached, um, by some other dudes and that's when the full blast started. Mm-hmm. So was that, was that pretty crushing for you at the time to kind you of know, like, it, it was kind of crushing to me because, well, well, well it was actually two bands the, the, the you know, jerk circus was a four piece and the first, um, the first offshoot was called kwh and uh the three other members of my band that weren't me formed this other band uh it was like a ska band so there was like a it was kind of like a seven piece band with horns and all that Mm -hmm. and to be honest i wasn't really into ska at all so that was it was kind of fine that they wanted to do something different Mm -hmm. um and it was cool they were all like friends from the from a different high school and stuff so that was fine and then when it happened again with the full blast, it wasn't it wasn't all of them. It was just Brian, the bass player, who's now in a Wilhelm scream, and and Andy, the drummer, who I mentioned before, who went on to be in Boys Night Out and everything. When they started the full blast, it was it was pretty tough too, especially because right away they were getting all this attention and they were like this. Everyone thought they were going to be this like, huge band, and I was kind of like, oh, what about me? You know, right? And um, and it, it it was it was pretty hard, especially like when you're at that level. There's only so many Friday and Saturday nights in a month. Mm-hmm. 
to, you know, to play shows. So I was like, okay, can we do a jerk circus show? And they were like, oh, well, we're going to do a full blast show. So there started being conflicts with that stuff. Mm. And that's what, that's actually why Silverstein became a thing. Right. Because you, because you, you wanted because to. Because I was, yeah, because basically all the guys in my band were playing in other bands. And I was like, well, I guess I can try to be in another band too. And right. that's exactly how, how Silverstein started. And you'll probably hear, oh, Silverstein started as a side project. And that's exactly why, because I was in another band and so was Josh. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's how it all came about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when you obviously, when, when you started to, you know, sing for Silverstein and it was obviously just you holding a microphone without the, you know, defense of a guitar, uh, yeah. was, was that a, uh, cause that, that's a weird transition for people. It was totally weird. Yeah. yeah it's totally weird. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know like running around. Like I just wasn't used to it. Because right. I wasn't able to for so long. I'm like, oh, I have to stand in this one place to sing into a microphone. Now I don't have to do that anymore. So at first I didn't like it. But after a few, sh- even just, you know, maybe five, six shows into the band's career, I was kind of like, this is kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're you like, know? I'm not locked down anywhere. I don't have to tune anything. This is great, you know. Right. Um, and, and it was interesting, though, how right away I started singing differently, I you know, because I wasn't playing guitar maybe. And that's when maybe I was maybe able to focus more on singing and singing with a certain whatever, certain style. Whereas with my old band, I was just, just trying to play and sing and hit the notes, you know? Yeah. Cause I, since you were doing so many things at once, you were just like, I got to just do all of these. Like, okay. Like <laughs> I can't, you can't, I guess you couldn't really have time to focus on being like really good at like one or two of those things because you were doing so many at once. Well, part of it too is when you're a kid, when you're a kid, you're taught like, just don't make any mistakes, right? Don't right. make mistakes and everything will be okay. So it was more like, okay, I'm just going to hold this guitar. I'm going to try to play everything perfectly. I'm going to sing and that's it. There was no like, oh, well, what about expression? And what about, you know? So so I think when when it was, when I was given a microphone and I could run around and I wasn't, you know, half my half my performance wasn't tied to playing guitar. I think it helped me as a, you know, as a performer and a musician, at least to understand that 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 there was more to it, you know. The history of Silverstein is well documented, so I'm not going to, you know, pick out all of these, you know, minutia moments of like, what did it feel like to release your first record? Because that's been asked many times. But as me personally on the outside, as I, as I watched, you know, Silverstein start to, you know, you guys start to tour the U.S. regularly and starting to, you know, make a name for yourself. It, the, the one thing that, and I've had discussions with almost every single one of you guys about this, like especially more towards the early years. Um, where it was like, I found it so funny because obviously you guys paid so much attention to the United States, but then in Canada, I wouldn't be as dramatic as to say like ignored, but your shows just didn't do that well up there comparatively speaking to the States. Was it funny for you guys to kind of have, see that switch of just like, Oh, well, I guess we're doing pretty cool in the States, but you know, I guess we're not that quote unquote cool in Canada. Well, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, you, you know, with with the whole, I, I don't know how many of your listeners are from Canada or understand the can, you know, the Canadian music industry, but it's really, really, really fucking weird. And, and <laughs> it is. It's really, really weird. And and how how it works is thirty five percent of of the music played on like TV or radio or whatever has to be Canadian. So there's an entire Canadian music industry basically that just revolves around these bands that are only big in Canada that pretty much only anyone knows, knows about in Canada. And they're like huge and they play arenas and they have no career in the rest of the world. We didn't want to be that band. Mm-hmm. We, you know, so for us, we, the whole thing was when we got any kind of seriousness about, about the band, we were like, we want to do something in the U S there's 10 times more people. There, there's so many more places to go. And if you can make it in the U S there's always the trickle up effect, if you will, um, of, of that. So, so what, what happened was, you know, the, the best example of it is, you know, we started getting big in, in the U.S. And there was a band called Alexis on Fire, who I know you know very well, yep. that was um, very, very big in Canada. And they were kind of on the trajectory um, that they were going to be one of those bands that's going to be like huge in Canada and no one's going to know about them anywhere else in the world. You know what I mean? Because they had signed to a Canadian label. They had done all those, you know, big Canadian stuff. They started getting Canadian video play, radio play and all that. Right. So it was interesting for us because we had been doing so well in the U S and the U S is like the mech, the Mecca, the big thing, you know, and we were quite jealous of Alexa and fire for being big in Canada. Mm -hmm. 
and they were really jealous of us for being big in the U.S. I do. I remember. I remember that push and pull of just like it was so weird to watch both of you guys. Obviously, ostensibly, were from the same scene, and essentially, you know, were very similar sonically. To have these like really wildly diverging paths, and it, it was weird to watch that. Where it was just like, oh, I mean, I saw why it happened. Like you said, everything that you're saying. But then it was like, it, it still at the same time, just it felt so weird. and It didn't make any sense. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. I think from their perspective, it was, it was even weirder because th- what they did made more sense. Okay, you start in a, like a, you start in a city, let's say Toronto, and you work the radius and you get bigger and bigger and bigger around your radius. And for us, it was like, well, we started in Chicago basically because that's where victory was, right, you know? Right. Right. So, so we were as much a band from Chicago as we were a band from Canada. You know, I think they had trouble understanding why we were bigger than them. And for us, it's like, well, we're from Canada, you know, but we, but we didn't, you know, we didn't understand at the time. We didn't have a Canadian label. We didn't have like a Canadian manager. We didn't have anything like that in Canada. So it just took a lot longer. And, and part of why we ignored Canada for so long, and to be honest, we still kind of ignore Canada is because it's just so big to go from one side to the other. It's like, it's as big as the U S and there's like between Toronto and Vancouver, there's like four literally, <laughs> literally like six places you can play. Totally. Literally. So if you go to, and the problem is once you get to Vancouver, well, you have to come back, you know? So, yeah. So we just avoided BC altogether. Cause it's like playing Vancouver is like 24 hours out of the way. Right. If you're doing a Canadian tour. So we just, we just, didn't bother playing. Yeah, no, no, totally. Uh, something else that I think is funny and uh, about you guys, and obviously what a lot of people, you know, maybe, well, maybe might not have noticed uh, over your your career is the fact that, relatively speaking, it's like for a band that has existed as long as you guys have have, and obviously have been on multiple record labels, like all of these these different scenes and and waves of different musical genres passing by you guys have remained relatively like, uh, you know, unscathed by drama. You know, you don't have this long laundry list of ex-members and all these other people who are just like, oh, well, dude, Silverstein was on victory. Like that must have been hell. Like, you know, you guys, uh, and maybe it's just because it reflects, it's reflective of your personality as, as, as a person and obviously as a band in general. I guess I, th- there's no real question wrapped up into it, but it, yeah. it, it, it's like, I don't know, I just find it so compelling in a way because it's like you guys are doing what most bands want to do and that's be a band. But sometimes that's so hard because there's so much other stuff that gets put in the way. But Yeah, that's 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 a good point. I mean, yeah, you know, you know, like victory is a struggle, you know, um, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, not because they're a bad label. I mean, they know how to sell records. They, they you know, they have some of their staff over the years were fantastic at their jobs and, and as people. The real issues we had with Victory was just that a lot of things were a struggle. You know, everything we wanted to do or they wanted to do ha- ended up being some kind of like being dr- like there's it's always a drama attached to it. Like, you know, oh, we want to do we want to do this video or whatever. No, you know, and it's like ultimately <laughs> they're going to say yes or ultimately it's going to happen. It's just like, can't can we just get to that right, right off the bat? You know, right. <laughs> can we- it's, just, it's just we wasted so much time you know, arguing or fighting over things that were going to happen anyways, that, that it, it just started at the end of it, it just became annoying. You know, um, it was just, just the day to day thing became annoying. I, I, I would, you know, and I'm, I know Tony's probably going to listen to this or hear, hear about this and, and email me and, and that's fine because I'm just being honest, you know, that that's part of the reason that we left, that we left the label and we went with hopeless because hopeless was like the complete opposite like that. They were just like, do whatever you want. Buddies with us. I mean, I know you know all those guys really well. Mm-hmm. They were just like, so cool. It's uh, whatever you want to do a seven inch. Great. You want to do an EP before the record comes out? Sure. Do do whatever you want. We'll, we'll make it happen. And it was, it was awesome with Hopeless. And now with Rise, it's, it's kind of like, I think we're in maybe a little bit in between. They're letting us do what they want, but they also have a very strong opinion about what the best thing to do is and and we're kind of working together with them so it's really hard to do what you guys have done like that that's the one thing that that i I always go back to where it's just like okay you know you start the band when you're you know really when you're young and you obviously have a very set taste in what your music should be and then obviously as you grow up you start to experience different styles of music where it's like people people would look at probably each individual member's own personal tastes and be like, 
you know, why the, why the hell do you guys play the music you play? You know, cause it's like, all right, whatever. Here's, you know, Billy with a huge hot water music aficionado. Um, you know, th- that's where his heart lies musically. And then, you know, you've got Paul with his, you know, indie rock background. And then, you know, you have you who are kind of across the board. Um, and, and then jo- like basically everybody just has their own distinct tastes. And obviously that's kind of what makes the band a band, but to be able to like, I guess, grow into the band that you are. I don't know. It's just such a strange yeah. thing for me to have watched it's, you guys do. It's strange, but, but part of the, part of the problem too is like it, people don't understand is we were never trying to be like a hardcore band or a punk band or anything. But a lot of people will, will like we did the American nightmare cover, right? We did like an orchid cover, which was like even worse. Like people <laughs> yeah. talked so much shit on us. <laughs> like, like they, cause they think we don't understand or they think we, you know, that we don't, know what we're doing kind of like when um you're my butterfly sugar baby what the hell was that band called crazy, crazy town. town yeah yeah. when they covered refused right right everybody got all got so mad you know because they're like well those guys are idiots and they don't you know it's like i don't know maybe those guys are like maybe those guys know punk rock i don't know maybe they know and maybe they didn't set out to try to start a band like refused maybe they started set out to start a band like they did and that's what they wanted to do and so for us that's what it was we didn't we'd all we'd all been in punk punk bands hardcore bands whatever silverstein was something different and i know it's funny to say it's something different now when there's been so many bands over the years that have essentially done what we've done um but but that was that was where we came from so so you know i think Part of why we've, you know, you asked part of why we've been together for so long and there hasn't been drama or anything too. I think our music is diverse enough in itself that we have a creative outlet for whatever we're trying to do. You know, you know, for example, like, you know, the newest song we released is like pretty fast and pretty heavy. It's like kind of like a hardcore song, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but then at the same time, we're able to have in our band, we were able to have like an acoustic song on this record. Mm. We're able to have more like a pop punk style song on the record. We're able to have, you know, we've done total straight up punk rock songs before. So it, it, with that diversity, just within our band, somebody can be like, "Ah, I want to do this. And most bands, it wouldn't work. And most bands would be like, well, this isn't what we do. This isn't whatever, you know, but in our band, we're able to do, do it. And I think, we're able to find a creative outlet within our band. Yeah. And it also seems too. you guys seem to be able to obviously lead just because you've known each other for so long, you guys seem to have very healthy boundaries. Like, you know, when you, when you're off tour, you know, you guys obviously let each other, you know, go your separate ways and kind of, you know, do your own things without ever kind of having that, that suffocating pressure of just like, dude, so I got to wake up and see, these four schmucks again for, and again and again, you know, yeah. um, do you, yeah, do, do you feel, ahead. was it, was that something that, was that something that was kind of like learned over time or did that just like, I guess kind of occur naturally? It, it occurred, it occurred naturally because when we started the band, we, even when we started the band, we didn't really know each other that well, you know, like the guys, like for example, jerk circus, my old band, I lived on the same street with Bri, like since we were five years old, you know, they were like, I played basketball with Andy sometimes. Like we were all very, very close knit. We would play music and then we would like go outside and play basketball or we would go bike riding or we would go, you know what I mean? We spent all of our time together and the band was just part of the time we spent together because we were best friends. Um, where, but where, when we joined, when Silverstein started, it wasn't like that at all. We, we were there. I just, I only saw them when we were practicing or when, you know, we were, playing shows at first and we weren't really even friends in in a way if that's i know it sounds weird to say but we were just just doing that together yeah and then and then as we became closer we still all had our because we were old like i was 19 or 18 or whatever when it was when we started silverstein so i still had like at that point i had established my group of friends and kind of everybody had so it was like okay saturday night well I'm going to go hang out with my friends or whatever. And, and that's just how it was. And, and as the band grew and grew, it was still always like that. You know, I still see guys. I hung out with Paul Mark yesterday. 
you know, I see Bill all the time, but but we don't see each other like all the time. We don't end up at the same bar every night, right? Like, when we get off tour, you know, yeah, it's you not don't, like that. You don't live on top of each other because yeah, sometimes it's it's that can kind of suffocate a band when it's exactly. like yeah, for sure. Just recently come off you know an anniversary tour and that sort of stuff. Almost every interview, I see people always being like, oh, you know how like how have things changed and how do you feel like you've changed as people? And I, I think that's such a I mean, obviously it's a sort of easy and cliched question to ask, but it, it, it is is one of those things that, you know, over the past couple of years, I've been able to see you guys, you know, evolve to not be that band that is overstaying their welcome. Because I'm sure like that, that's every band's fear, you know, like if they exist over, you know, whatever, seven, eight years, then they start to question like, oh man, are, are we going to be one of those bands that's like, you know, touring for touring's sake and like not really even kind of caring about what we're doing, but you guys have evolved where it's like you obviously take younger bands on tour and you do these things that kind of like ingrain you to a younger audience and stuff like that. And I presume that's probably really exciting for you guys to do too. It is exciting. And, and, and again, like the whole point of the band is to have fun. There's, there's no, like we always said when the band isn't fun anymore, we're just not going to do it. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to name names, but there are bands that we came up with and stuff that are still out there doing it. And it's like some of the stuff they're doing. I don't really know if they're having fun anymore. It's yeah, because sometimes it gets a little like depressing to watch. I it's just, so sad. Yeah, it gets sad. And and we we would never we would never wanted to be in a situation where where that happened. And, and if it ever does, you know, you take a good hard look at yourself. Look, I always said this this Silverstein. Maybe it is the most important thing in my life. Maybe when I'm on my deathbed, it'll be the like the thing I remember about most about my life. Maybe not. You know, but there will be other things in my life too that will define me as a person. So I don't, you know, I'm going to do this as long as I'm having having fun and enjoying it, and it's and it's something that that um you know whatever the word is you know is is inspiring to me. But when it's not anymore, then I have no qualms about letting it go. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's why it's lasted so long because I felt that way. <laughs> no, that I mean, that's a health that's a healthy outlook. I think. Did you yeah. ever did you ever struggle though? When um, obviously, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm putting some of my own experience in, into this question as well. Where obviously, once attention starts to get paid to you, and especially you know, I, identifying with what you go through in regards to you know being the lead vocalist, where it's like people by default pay attention to you and you know a, a lot of things are thrown your direction you know when did you kind of start to see that there were people who obviously like wanted to know you because you were Shane from Silverstein versus who actually wanted to know you because you were Shane told you know like how how did you start to kind of navigate those waters as you, I, you started? know what I I don't know if I ever navigated those waters and I don't know if I still na- navigate those waters now okay I, I've always been kind of bad at that of no like I, I guess I don't see if people have ulterior motives I don't really see it so if somebody comes up to me and is just like chatting me up you know I'm just friendly back and I just talk to them like I'm a person I, I never think oh they're talking to me because I'm this guy or, or whatever you know like I, I, I'm just as likely to have a chat with somebody at the bank that I don't know you know or whatever like at the you know, wherever I, I, that's just how I am. So it's always been difficult, difficult for me to see that when people are like, Oh, like they're, this person's like using you or whatever. And like, I have friends that used to be fans and, and you know, they, they still like hit me up and like are freaking out about the new song. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And then I remember, Oh yeah. Like <laughs> I started talking to them. They were a fan and now we're friends, but I guess they're still a fan. Right. <laughs> but I never like think, but I never think about that really. Right. So for me, it was, I was just, I'm always, I've always been a very sociable person. I've, I've never been guarded at all. And, and so I, I guess I don't really, I don't really have an answer because you just don't you know, do you, it. You, you ask, you know, the, the cliche question that you didn't want to ask was that I'm going to answer uh, was, was, you know, how have you changed? And it's like, I haven't. Fucking change. <laughs> yeah. And pe- it's so easy for people to say, Oh, I'm like the same guy I've always been and and like despite every but despite everything we've gone through, like I really don't feel any differently except maybe I'm I'm like, you know, I'm older and I have a little more life experience and stuff. But like really personality wise and, and all that, I don't I don't know. I guess kind of wrapped up in that identity question, there's never um or or maybe at one point there has been where you kind of buy into your identity, you know, where it's like you obviously your self worth is determined by you know, how well your band is doing or some variation of that. Did you have to, was there a learning curve from that perspective where you were like, oh, if the band isn't doing well, like I'm worthless. Like, you know, did you have to wrestle with that? That's an interesting question. Again, again, I like never 
really thought about that, but part of it too is that I'm been, we've been we, I've been been so immersed in the band that that really like I haven't had a second even to, to like reflect back on that on it in <laughs> sure, that way. Sure, do you know what I mean? Like I, I we've always been so busy, and there's never been a time like I mean our band has been very consistent. You know, there was never really a time I can remember where it was like, holy shit, no one's coming to our shows, no one's buying our records, no mm-hmm. one cares. My Twitter feed is blank. No one, no notifications. Right. You know, this is like, this never happened. It's never really happened that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think, I think that I haven't really worried about it. And if I have, I've just been too busy to notice. Yeah. Well, or what care, are you, really. well, what are you running from then, Shane? If you're keeping so busy, then what are you running from? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, because of, uh, anybody's kind of like commitment to, you know, independent music and your, your attention towards that, that scene and what have you, there's a tendency to, you know, kind of burn out on it in the sense of, uh, you know, people kind of filter in and out of bands and, you know, they just, they either become like jaded or bitter for as long as I've known you, I've really never kind of seen that on you or seen you wear that emotion. Um, is, is that, you know, is, is that true <laughs> or, or is it one of those things where it's like, there's been moments where you've been pretty hardened and you've kind of wanted to, you know, throw your hands up in frustration to give you another cliche answer, but like, I really feel like I'm lucky to be here even after this long, I still, and all the work I've put in and all the success we've had and, and how much of it's related back to me and like my own doing, I guess I still feel lucky to be here and I still feel like privileged and every day I wake up and I'm like this is pretty awesome Mm -hmm. you know I don't have to I don't have to go I I, you know I don't have to go do some job I don't like you know I I I can still do this and there's never really been a time where I'm like fuck this fuck these people I want I want to get out of here Mm -hmm. I can really on like count the number of times when I've been upset and frustrated and had even had any thought in my mind of changing the trajectory of on like like fingers on one hand Mm -hmm. you know i can remember one time being in like the uk and being sick just having a miserable time we we did like three weeks in the uk which is to me is my nightmare it's like my it was my nightmare (laughs) you know i could i that was about as close as i was ever to being like i gotta go home like Mm -hmm. seriously get me on the next flight that's about it that's about as close as it's been and and really like I've, i've really taken every day as it as a gift i guess and made the best of it and i think like every record we've done i think has been good i think every you know the songs and all the records have been for the most part pretty good and everything we've the shows you know we try to do everything to the best of our ability and i think that that reflects back just on on us overall being really happy with with everything you know i think when you're happy and and you're in a good place then you tend to have success right and yeah and then you don't have to wear the you know the the hardness on your heart or whatever when because I, I think something that, that I've noticed about your band too it's like while you are popular you guys never hit it to the point of where it was like a supernova where it was like oh my gosh like they're the biggest thing since sliced bread and then all of a sudden the band has to reckon with that fact and be like okay well this is going to crash down at some point. And that's then, right. We never had a we never had a hey there Delilah or anything. Right. No, totally, totally. Because it's like that's such a difficult beast to wrestle with because everybody wants that, but then when you get it, you're like, what are we going to do to keep that fire going? And sometimes, well, most of the time, it, you can't. No, I mean, I guess it's a it was a yeah, you're right. Everyone does want. That is a very good good perspective on it. I don't know. I, we've never had we never had a big song We've had some albums that did well, but, you know, that's always kind of a different thing. But, no, we never had, like, a big hit song or anything. You know, and a lot of times, I mean, I mean a lot of things we've just never really tried, you know. We've, we've had, we had some songs, like, played on MTV at one point, and I thought that that was going to translate into, you know, something bigger, and it never really did. And, and that was fine because we've always managed to keep not only just, like, a core group of fans that, that have given a shit about us, and maybe they wouldn't have given a shit about us if we had that supernova, as you say, um, and, and at the same time, we've been able to, you know, you know, kind of turn our fans over. You know, there's been a turnover of younger and younger fans that just have found out about our band somehow, and they're always there. You know, even this reunion tour, reunion tour, this anniversary <laughs> tour. Right. Um, there's kids like 12, 13 coming out. It's like crazy to me. Right. Right. You know that I don't know how they heard about the band, but you know, so I, I guess like, however it's happened, it's it's been. It's been probably more of a blessing than a curse. Yeah, totally. You get, like I said, you guys don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to do things that might be outside of your comfort zone in order to sustain something that is 
really difficult to sustain. You know, you guys, you guys have been able to just like, you know, continually build the, you know, brick wall. You guys have been building, you know, brick by brick rather than like, yep. oh God, we got to build this house by tomorrow. Like, <laughs> that's right. No, exactly. But you know, it, part of it too is just, is just like managing our expectations. Like so, some bands freak out over the smallest things. Mm-hmm. And if you just start freaking out over every little small thing, it's just going to compile and, it's going to be, you're going to, you're going to lose it. We've always been very, very realistic. And in the early days, you know, we'd drive, drive to play a show and the promoter would be like, yeah, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be like 300 people. And we'd be like, okay, well, rather than expecting 300 people, we're going to expect like a hundred. And then when there's 200, we're going to be really stoked rather than it going the other way around. So it's like no expectations. You can't be disappointed. Yeah. You know, well, I, I'm not going to like when the label, like the, like the last record, the label's like, yeah, we got bad news. The album's not going to be carried in target. I don't give a <laughs> shit about target. Right, right. If I start worrying about all these like, like little things like that, like I'm going to go, I'm going to go crazy. Part of it is just like, whatever, man, like control what you can control, which is the songs, you know, decisions about like where, okay, what label you're going to sign to and then how you're going to treat people and, how you're going to be on stage. Like those are things actually in the control. And then you have to let the other things take care of themselves. And you can't, you can't get bummed out and worried about like everything going on, you know? Dude, that's, that's such an important point. Cause that, that's like the managing expectations thing is, is one of the most difficult parts of like being in a band, being in the music industry. Like that's all that most of it is, you know, it's just making sure that everybody's expectations are kind of like matching up with one another. So there isn't this like, huge dramatic swing of like like you you know using what do you mean our records aren't at target like i'm gonna fucking kill you like you know it's like whoa <laughs> like oh, oh oh i didn't know that was such a big deal to you so i guess we as a record label have to try to figure this out or whatever but if you you know i wouldn't even call it like you know like lowballing your expectations i think it's just it's tempered it's tempered with reality where you're just yep. like well yeah, like yeah, of course maybe that'd be rad if 300 people were here, but I'm not expecting that because that's like, you know, that's like next level shit. So Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we you know, we've always been that band. We've always planned, you know, planned for the worst. Even though this even this last tour which was like really really good for us. Like we sold out just about every room. We on purpose we put ourselves in rooms that were scalable. You know what I mean? Like in New York, we we played a room that was anywhere from 500 to 1500 just because we didn't know and we didn't want to be in a situation where it's like, oh crap, like this was like, no one cares about this record. And we ended up selling at the 1500 cap room. We probably could have just done, you know, but, but the whole time we've been like, well, let's, you know, let's make sure we have these other options. And, and that's just the way we've always done things. So I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's part of, you know, our whole thing. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You got, you know what you, you guys are just way too practical, Shane. That's, that's I'm right. Just, I'm just very disappointed in your practicality. <laughs> I know, man. There's, it's just I wish I wish I had more exciting exciting things to to tell you about. Other than like maybe this record, we might get uh get the album in Target. Right, right. <laughs> and then who knows, man? The sky's the limit. That the sky's the limit. You got you maybe guys, even Walmart. I don't know. Exactly. Then you guys on tour with uh, Taylor Swift, and then the the world the world implodes on itself, right? What do you mean Taylor doesn't like us? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Shane, I really appreciate you hanging out with me. It's been, uh, it's been great. Yeah, thanks, Brady. Thanks to catch up. For sure, man. So that's what's up with Shane, and he is the person. And uh, they are the real deal. They've been at this for a long time, and then also through so many changes within the music community around them, but they haven't changed themselves. You know, they've gotten better as a band, but the records are, are very, very consistent. And it's kind of refreshing when you have a band like that. And it's just like, you know, they just keep getting better. And they just keep getting better live and they don't really slow down. It's awesome. Big props to Shane. The producer, as always, for this show is Tom Richie. We are in fundraising month, so if you're still listening to this and you're maybe considering donating, please just, just jump right in there. Give a buck, give two bucks, give whatever you feel that this show is So, and you can do that just click on the show notes and whatever podcast that you have is going to be very easy, easily and directly from so, Until next week, be safe.